saw pornography for the first time when I was 10 years old, 10. I still had a plastic castle toy set in my bedroom. It was uh, filled with, with knights and monsters and dragons, and I played with it every day. Well, my favorite video game was about a purple dragon named Spyro, and he was trying to save all of his friends from baddies. And every day when I came home, I would watch cartoons. If Wishbone was on, it was always on Wishbone. And I would get a big stack of Oreos, about 10, and a glass of milk, and I would go to town, because I was 10. And that's when I saw pornography for the first time. That day at school, I heard some guys telling some dirty jokes, some crude jokes. And for me, I, I grew up in a house where we did not talk that way. I remember when I was really little, I got my mouth washed out with soap because I kept saying, pitcher's got a big butt over and over and over again. So I, I did not, we did not talk dirty. We did not watch things like that on television. I wasn't allowed to watch Rugrats because it was rude. I couldn't watch Power Rangers because it was too violent. So when I heard these jokes, I had, I had no idea what the guys were talking about, but you don't wanna be the one who misses a punchline. So I acted like I did, uh, I, faked, I, I faked laughter and then decided that I was gonna figure out what those words meant. So I got home, I ate my Oreos, I drank my glass of milk, I watched some cartoons, um, and then I went to play video games on our family computer. Uh, it was in my parents' bedroom, and every day I had one hour, only one hour, because if they gave me more than that, I would use it, and I would never stop playing video games. So I set my timer, pressed start, and about 30 minutes in, I remembered the jokes that those boys told. And I remembered the words that I didn't know, the punchline that I didn't get, and so I got out of my game, I fired up AOL, uh, went to Yahoo, and for the first time in my life, I saw porn. And I was 10. My parents did everything that you would think to do for a 10-year-old in the year 2000, 2001. We had a family computer in a central location. I wasn't allowed to watch certain things. I wasn't allowed to speak a certain way. I was a good kid, a polite kid. I was just curious. And little did I know that as a 10-year-old that I was exposing myself to something, that I was seeing something, that I was entering into an arena, into a fight that would define the rest of my life. That the things I saw, I would never be able to unsee. And I was just curious. I just wanted to know what some words meant. I just wanted to be in on the joke. And at the age of 10, I opened a door and I walked through it. And I have the scars today to prove it. And I still struggle because of it. It was more like Pandora's box than it was a door. My story is not all that unique though. For the time, it was early. In the year 2000, 2001, not a lot of 10 year olds knew to go and get online and not a lot of 10 year olds could. But I was taught that that's how you get answers to questions. You, you search for them online. What then was early now would be normal. What then was early now would actually be a little late in some cases. Some, some studies, some surveys, some people tell us that at the age of eight, that's the average age for a child to first see pornography. Eight. That's our kids, that's your kid. That's the kids that are in Kids Creek this morning, singing songs and doing motions and learning memory verses and eating goldfish. Eight. Though different studies say different things, 
they all agree that the, the, the average age of first porn exposure is between eight and 11. That's the range, eight to 11 year olds. Many of them because they're just curious. Many of them because they have access to smartphones, to devices, to computers, to the internet, and they have questions. Some of them because they saw an advertisement on the side of a game and they clicked it, not knowing what they were clicking and not knowing what, where they were going. And because of curiosity, because of dumb luck, they end up entering into an arena they aren't ready for yet, seeing things their brains can't fully process and signing up for a lifetime struggle. What's more amazing than that though, one out of every 10 visitors to a porn website is under the age of 10. One out of every 10. And the demographic, if you took 18 year olds uh, and, and down, 22% of their porn traffic, the pornography access is by 10 year olds or younger. Some would call that negligent parenting. Either way, it scars them. And that's just the beginning of the story. It's just the beginning of my story. I wouldn't look again. I was just curious. I just wanted answers to questions. And then two years later, when I was in seventh grade, my parents went to go grocery shopping, just grocery shopping. We still just had one family computer. My siblings were in their bedrooms, playing video games, watching TV, working on homework. And I remembered the things that I saw when I was 10 and decided I wanted to go look again. And so I did. And as a seventh grader, I started what would become a weekly habit. I would stay up late playing video games, wait until everybody was gone, wait until everybody was asleep, fire up the computer, do an image search, and look at porn. And I was a good kid. I was raised as a, a Christian kid. I, I knew what I was doing was wrong at that point. As my, I, I, I felt dirty and I felt shameful after I did it every single time. I would bargain with God. I would say, God, I promise I won't do it again. If you'll just not make me feel this way anymore, I won't do it anymore. God, if you can just make it go away, just please make it go away. I was at church more days than I wasn't. I drummed every Sunday, every Tuesday at Celebrate Recovery, every Wednesday at Students, and I was a student. I led my school's first priority. But every Friday night, you could find me looking at a computer screen, looking at porn. And I didn't know who to talk to because nobody, nobody talked about this stuff. And when they did, they talked about it like it was something they dealt with in the past. And they seemed so high and mighty and perfect that you didn't want to open up to them and be vulnerable to them because then you looked like a, a pathetic wimp. You look pitiful, you look dirty, and you felt dirty, and you felt shameful. And so you couldn't open up to anyone, especially not your parents. And then whenever I would start to get comfortable with somebody, a pastor or a friend or a group, or a group leader, comfortable enough to open up about it, somebody would tell a joke or make a comment, or they would talk about how good I was, and I would never deal with those kind of things, and I just wouldn't talk about it. And like pretty much every other teenager that looks at it, that deals with it, I hate it. And I hit it really well. And that's a pretty common story. 94% of boys and 62% of girls, they'll be exposed to pornography by the age of 18. And when I say exposed, I don't mean they accidentally trip over it or they see an ad and they click on it or somebody shoves it into their face and they have to look at it. They'll go 
and they'll search for themselves, knowing what they're looking for, and they will find what they're looking for. They'll find it because they, they carry these things around with them in their pocket called smartphones. It's like an X-rated theater in your pocket at all times. It's easier to look at porn than it is to go get a bite, of eat, a bite to eat out of your own fridge because that requires you to actually have to get up. If you wanna look at pictures of naked people, all you have to do is get your phone out of your pocket, open up the, open up the browser and you're there. 95% of teenagers have access to a smartphone. So it's no wonder. And now not only do they look, but now they make through apps like Snapchat and Kick. Now they'll send things to each other. And they've gone from consuming porn to making porn. And they've done it, I've done it, many of you have done it right under the noses of everybody else, right under the noses of our parents. Because only 15% only of parents that are asked actually know what their kids look at online. And I dare say the parents who said they know probably have no clue. I would graduate from high school and I would go to college, Bible college, because my dream was always to become a pastor. Even though I knew that I was dealing with this, even though no matter how hard I tried, how many times I went to the altar and prayed, how many deals I tried to make with God, it didn't go away. I remember one night I was in my bunk and I was bartering with God. I told him, if, you, if, if I can be clean for three months, and you give me a wife, I'll never do it again. Thinking that that would make the temptation go away, thinking that that would make everything easier because that's what we think. If we could just get married, if you can just get a husband, if you can just get a wife, you're not gonna deal with that anymore because you're gonna have an outlet for it. You're not gonna deal with that anymore because you can finally have sex and it's not a sin. <laughs> and then we get married and you know what? The temptation's still there. The devices are still there. It's instant, it's easy, it's private, nobody knows. And that wasn't just my story. 70% of 18 to 34 year olds, they look at pornography at least once a month. And that's, doesn't, that, that's not Christian, that's not non-Christian, that's just people who were surveyed. Because if you really wanna get real, this number right here, it's actually 7% higher when you look at Christians, 77% of 18 to 34-year-old 30, Christian men look at pornography once a month. Only 3% of Christian men have never looked at porn. Only 11% of Christian women have never looked at pornography. And then if you wanna look at all men, all ages that call themselves Jesus followers, here's a number. 65% look at least once a month. That's us. As we dive in today, I hope you don't listen to me, see me, hear me, and think that this is a talk to parents about their kids, or that this is a talk that belongs on a Wednesday night to teenagers. Because this isn't, this isn't a them on the outside problem, it's not a parent problem, it's not a kid problem, this is an us problem. This is the bulk of us in this room are looking at pornography at least once a month. Or if we're not, then we know somebody who is. It's either our child, it could be a spouse, and you may not even know it. This is something that hits home for all of us. It's a niece, it's a nephew, it's a grandkid. This, this, is, this is us. And I hope you feel that. I hope you realize how big of a deal that is. But I know, I know that in a room like this, 
There's probably some of us who don't because you have your reasons and you have your excuses. And you, call, you can even call yourself a Christian now and, and you can say, I can still look at pornography and it's okay. You found a way to validate it and you found a way to make it okay. Because here's the kicker, we'll always find a theology, a doctrine to satisfy the life that we wanna live, always. And you use excuses like this, you know what? I'm a teenager, I'm single, and looking at porn, it's better than having sex. I'm not actually doing it. So it's like sex is up here and looking at porn is down here. It's an itty bitty sex, it's an itty bitty sin. It's so much better than actually doing the deed. Or maybe, maybe you're married and, you, and, and you're, you're, your reasoning, your thought process is it's better than cheating. At least I'm not having an affair, right? Two ways, let me just say, if, if that's you and, and that's, that's your reasoning, that's, that's your, your thought process, so you're saying if it wasn't for porn, you would cheat. You really wanna be that guy. You really wanna be that girl. It's the only thing keeping you from cheating is being able to look at pornography. But that's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe for you, it, it keeps me from, from having sex and it keeps me or her or us from having a baby. And that's a whole lot better because who wants that level of complication? I'm not ready for a family yet, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna look instead. It's, it's a whole lot safer if, there's pixels, if it's pixels on a screen instead of a person in a bed. Maybe you got married and you're not getting enough sex. You thought that you were gonna have a lot more than you are. You've tried to have conversations. Maybe you've even thought about it. You've had arguments. You've tried and whatever, whatever happens, it doesn't work. Whatever you say, it doesn't work. And so for you, it's, you justify it by saying, I'm not getting enough sex, so I'm gonna look and it's okay. Or you've lost attraction to your spouse. When you married them, they were a 10 and now they're a five. And they don't hold a candle to the people that you see on the website, to the people on the screen. So yeah, it's okay. They don't look as good. Or maybe, maybe your, your mindset, your thinking is it affects literally nobody. It's like having an affair, having sex whenever I want with absolutely no cost, no consequences. I don't have to pay for it anymore. There's free porn everywhere. I don't have to take anybody on a date. I don't even have to try, they're just there. Here's what I know. You probably wouldn't say it, and you're not going to amen these because that's just silly. But in a room like this, many of us have used these excuses or will use these excuses. You're going to see a magazine. You're going to see an ad pop up. You're going to see a website. And these are the things that are going to pop into your head to justify what a part of you wants to do. Let's just own that because there's a part of us that wants to do that. The problem with these is that they're just not true. Because when you look at pornography, when we look at pornography, when we treat sex in a way that God told us not to treat sex, it breaks us and it hurts us. And it all starts with us. It all starts here. It all starts with, with your brain. See, when, when we look at pornography, let's, we're mostly all adults, if not you're close enough uh, that we can talk about it this way. Pornography is art for the purpose of sexual arousal whose chief aim is masturbation. That's what pornography is. When you look at pornography and you do that, something happens in your head. You get a shot of dopamine, all right? That's a chemical, it makes you happy, it makes you feel good. And the shot that you get of dopamine in your brain, it's the equivalent that you would get if you were doing drugs. It's the exact same thing. And so when your brain experiences that, when it experiences that reward, that feeling, then your brain begins to want it again. 
And your brain begins to wire itself to want it again. And literally, your brain, your, your pathways, your neurons, they rewire themselves to become addicted to pornography, to become addicted to those images, to become addicted to those cheap thrills. And your brain begins to transform. And as you become more and more addicted to that thing, as you do it more and more, something else happens. You lose your mind. Literally, you lose your mind. It's really similar to what happens when you're in love, when you have a strong feeling for somebody. You begin to lose your, your ability to control yourself. You lose your ability to plan. You lose your, your ability to, to weigh consequences and actions. You even begin to, to lose gray matter in the parts of your brain that control empathy and compassion when you look at pornography on a regular basis, which the numbers say is probably many of us. You lose your mind. And then as you continue to look at it more and more over time, then you require it more and more. And so then it takes a longer amount of time, more porn, or it takes stuff that's more hardcore. And then eventually not even an image or a video on a screen will suffice. Maybe then you start making it. Maybe then you go and you find somebody to fulfill your fantasy. And that's, that's when things get twisted. That's, that's when bad things, real bad things begin to happen. Not as if that wasn't bad enough. As you lose your mind, you lose your ability to connect, all of that, of course, is gonna to begin to affect you in the way if you're married, you deal with your marriage and your spouse. You're not able to connect with them anymore. You can't connect with people in that way without help from something that isn't real on a screen because people don't look that way. Sex is not that way. It's not the way it works. And the people who are doing it on videos are usually so high and they're so drunk out of their minds because it's not the way it's supposed to be. And they end up broken and they end up hurt. The people doing the videos and we end up unable to connect with our spouse. You end up unable to connect with your husband or with your wife or with anyone emotionally. It leads to decreased intimacy and then it leads to decreased ability. There is no, no demographic, no generation outside of mine that has problems with impotence like millennials. They use more Viagra than senior adults do because of pornography. And then not only that, because obviously it's going to affect a lot of things in the bedroom, but it's also going to affect the relationship. And then once the other spouse finds out, normally the heartbreak is so severe, the person is unable to get through the addiction and then the worst happens. Divorce lawyers say that 56% of all divorces have porn as one of the root causes. Now, as, as you begin to lose your mind and you begin to lose your ability to show empathy and compassion, and as you begin to want and to crave more and more sex, more and more illicit sex, or at least more and more porn, that begins to affect your relationships with other people, with your friends. You can't show compassion. You can't show empathy. You lose your ability to connect with people. You lose your ability to talk to people. You lose the want to talk to people. And then on top of it all, it affects your world. It affects my world. And I could spend all day talking about this one. Studies show that there's a direct correlation between porn circulation in a community and how many rapes take place in that community. 
Because when we begin to look at people that way and we begin to allow people to look at us that way, we begin to treat people that way. And it's only a matter of time before people take their fantasies that they've seen play out on screens and try to turn them into a reality. The amazing thing is though, before neurology, before sociology, before anthropology, before people actually studied the brain and studied human cultures and, and how pornography affects you and affects me and how misusing sex affects us, there was a guy by the name of Paul who told us all of this. Paul was an apostle. He was a leader in the early church in, in one letter to, to some early, early Christians because guess what? Mishandling sex and screwing that whole thing up is, is not new to our generation. It's not new to us. And he, he wrote this, he said, run from sexual sin. Notice, he didn't say run from sex because we believe that sex is a good thing. God made it and he did a good job. He invented it. It was his idea. It is sacred. It is good. He didn't say run from sex, but he said run from misusing it. Run from sexual sin because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. And it took us all about 2,000 years to get the, the data to go with that. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And he's gonna write similar statements all throughout the New Testament. Like this one, where he says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. And here, the word he uses here is actually a Greek word, pornonia. And it means any misuse of sex. Pornonia, we actually get that from the Greek word for prostitute. Anything like that, selling yourself, buying things for the, for the purpose of sex outside of the confines of the purposes that God made it, which is marriage, which is to so unite two people in that kind of a way. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. No immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And I don't think here, I don't think Paul, Paul is saying that if you mess this up, you're not going to go to heaven. He's not saying you mess this up, you get, a free, you get a free ticket to hell. He's saying, you know what? You can experience the kingdom of God in your own life. You can, you can experience a little bit of heaven here and now in your relationships with your husband and with your wife and your families and our world. But if you get that wrong, if we let this stuff into our lives, if we let it impact us, we're not going to experience God's kingdom in our life. We're not gonna experience the blessing. We're not gonna experience the peace. We're not going to experience the joy to which if we had the boldness and we were transparent enough, if our story is that we struggled with, with this, we would all say a big hearty amen. You see, Jesus paints things and presents things and God presents things as out of bounds. He, the church word for it is sin for a reason. And a lot of times we think it's because he's keeping us from something. And we get that feeling, right? Like God is trying to keep me from living the life I wanna live. He's trying to keep me from a certain lifestyle and I so want to experience that and I so wanna taste that. And I feel like I'm missing out because there's this, there's this whole other world and everybody else gets to experience it, but I just have to watch them and act like I'm having fun over here when really I'm too busy watching them and wishing I was having that kind of fun. But God doesn't put things out of bounds to keep us from something good. He does it to help us actually have something good. The reason why those things don't belong in our life, things like pornography, things like mishandling and misusing sex is because they break our lives. They break us. But if you're like me and porn is a part of your story, I don't have to tell you that. Because odds are you've probably already experienced it. If you're married, you've experienced it. If a spouse has looked at pornography and you found out about it, you've experienced it. Even if you haven't found out about it, you've been impacted by it and the brokenness that it brings. If you're a teenager, you've experienced it. 
trying to keep a secret, trying to hide things, hoping nobody finds out about it, you've experienced it. You've experienced the powerlessness of trying to give it up and to fight it and not being able to. So the question I want us to answer this morning is this. What do you do when you know better, but don't do better? What do you do when you know better, but don't or maybe can't do better? So we're going to look really quickly at the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And at this point in the story of Jesus, he was kind of a big deal. He had healed some people, he had done some things, and because of it, there were crowds, thousands upon thousands of people flocking to him. And so one day he had a lot of people around him, so he just decides to plop down on a mountainside and start talking and see what happens. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he says lots of things, revolutionary, life-changing things. And he begins the portion we're gonna look at this way. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. You must not misuse sex. You must not have sex with somebody that you're not married with. To which the audience was probably like, Jesus, we were really hoping for something new here. Like we all know this one. We memorized this one in vacation Bible school. It's in the 10 commandments. It's everywhere. Yes, we get it. We're not supposed to do that with sex. We understand. But Jesus is like, ah, ah, ah. I'm not done yet. Let Jesus finish. But I say, Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And this, this was, this was different. This was revolutionary. And I imagine they were like, Jesus, what are you like? We can't help that, Jesus. Like, what, are you, what, are, what are you talking about? Like, we can't look at somebody and desire somebody? Now, I, 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 I want to point out here, Jesus uses women for a reason. He's not saying that people don't lust after men. But in this time in history, women were treated as literal objects. They were seen as property, and in some cases, a little less than property. The sole function of which was to reproduce and hopefully have more sons. That's what a woman was. Jesus' point was, you should not look at anyone as if they're property, as if they're an object which is exactly what pornography is. Looking at someone as if they were an object so you can please yourself, so you can do whatever you want with them and then click the X button with absolutely no idea what happens to that person, what their life story is. It costs you absolutely nothing. They're no better than a Lunchable. And Jesus' point was people aren't objects. They aren't flashlights. They're not books. They're not plates. People have value, so don't treat them as objects. And when you look at them like they are an object, you lose because what you think about continually, you will do eventually. What you allow into your eyes, what you look at, what you allow into your heart eventually will impact what you do. And so then he says one of my favorite things in the entire New Testament. If you're here and you've heard this part of the sermon before, it's our favorite, favorite verse to hate. He says this, so if your eye, even your good eye causes you to lust, Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he goes on. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I imagine his audience was a lot like this. Quiet. Jesus, are you serious? You're exaggerating, right? You don't really want me to cut off my hand. Jesus, this is my good hand. You don't know what I do with this hand. 
To which Jesus would say, yes, I do. That's why I'm telling you to cut it off. And every time I've ever heard this sermon preached, or this, this text preached, every time I've heard it taught about or read a devotional about it, everybody says, oh, Jesus, he's exaggerating. He doesn't really want you to cut off body parts, then we'd all be amputees running around. And Jesus doesn't want that. Here's, here's, here's the thing, though. The people who say that, I'm convinced, they don't know what it's like to be captive to something. They don't know what it's like to wake up exhausted because you spent the entire night before trying not to do what you know you're not supposed to do. They don't understand what that feels like. They don't know the hopelessness and the despair of feeling guilty and dirty and not being able to do anything different. Because when you're there and when you feel that and you're in that moment, yeah, you would cut something off to feel better. You would do that. You would sacrifice anything. If you could not feel dirty, if you could not continue the cycle, you feel that way, you would do that but we don't. This morning, as we look at how we can fight this, my challenge to you is don't make hyperbole what God meant literally. Jesus wasn't kidding. Now, I think before we get to actually cutting off hands, there's some other things that we can cut off first. Some other things that we can cut out. There's some other things that we can do that will help us. And the first one is this. You have to reframe it. See, for me, and in my story, pornography was always something that was enticing. It was always something good. It was always something desirable. It was a good time. It was a great hit. It was a nice website. They looked nice. But when you see it that way, yeah, it's something God's keeping you from. But when you begin to see that as God sees that, that helps you do as God says you should do. See, in reality, Pornography is something that robs you of your mind and your free will. In reality, pornography is something if you're married, it will wreck your marriage. You may hide it as long as you want and as long as you can try to, but guess what? Eventually the truth will come out and there will be carnage and there will be wreckage and there will be weeping and you will sacrifice your, your husband or your wife for a website. You will sacrifice being a parent for a bunch of pixels. It costs you so much more than you're willing to pay. It will take you so much further than you are willing to go. So reframe that sucker and see it for really is, for what it really is, because what it really is is a trap that will destroy you in the end. And don't paint as beautiful what God says is wrong, because that's what we do. It's classic for us. Not just when it comes to pornography and sex, but as Christians, we fall in love with everything that the world has to offer with the music and with the books and with that particular series and this new Netflix show and that movie and gosh, this is my beat. But then you listen to the words and it's filthy, but you still love the beat and you don't want to be the weird one who's left out. But when you compromise and you call beautiful what God calls ugly and wrong and toxic, that seeps into your life and bit by bit, it impacts you, it affects you, it pollutes your brain and it will take you further and it will hurt you more, and it is not worth it in the end. There's a reason why we're called salt and light in the scriptures, because we are supposed to be different, and we are supposed to be weird. And maybe that's something we should celebrate instead of something that we should try not to be. So see it, see it as God sees it, and then cut off the source. Many of us are walking around with an X-rated theater in our pockets, and many of us don't need to be. There was life before smartphones. 
the Razor flip phone, and it was awesome. <laughs> and there can be life without a smartphone. There was life before laptops and technology that we took everywhere with us. And maybe, just maybe, if we can't deal and if we can't use it correctly, we don't need it in our lives because freedom is so much more valuable and important than finding out what Bobby or Susie ate for dinner. A couple months ago, actually, I traded in my laptop here at work for a desktop because I didn't want to take it home with me anymore. I didn't want to even have the chance to look. I didn't want to even be tempted. I wanted to cut off the source. I traded in my smartphone, which I still have, but now stays in my office at all times. It stays here in this building at all times for a dumb phone. And it's awesome. As a dad, as a parent, as a son, as a friend, it's great for my relationships. As somebody who has this as a part of his story, it's great to not to have to face that temptation, to have that monkey off my back to know that even when I'm weak and even when I want to, I can't because it's gone. And for a lot of us, it feels like cutting off an arm. For a lot of us, it feels like cutting off a leg, but you know what? The freedom and the peace that we find when we get rid of those things, it's so much better than playing Candy Crush. And then after you get rid of whatever the source is, maybe for you it's HBO, maybe for you it's a, it's a particular book, it's a particular author. When you get rid of that, then you need to ask yourself, what are your triggers? When, when are you the most tempted? Is it when, when your husband and your wife goes to bed before you do? Go to bed when they do. Is it when you're all alone and you're tired? Is it when you're frustrated? Is it when you've won and you've done something great? When, 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 when do you feel it? When are you tempted? Know when and where the battle comes and then get honest and get help. Get honest and get help. Tell somebody, a friend, a group leader, tell someone and, and give them permission to check up on you and to ask you how you're doing. Remove the passwords from your devices. You don't need privacy. Who needs, what, what, that's for the bedroom with your spouse. You don't need any more privacy than that. And if you do, maybe you're hiding something. Get honest and get help. And then, fight. Be prepared to fight. The one thing I've learned, even when I know my triggers and I know when I'm weak and I know when I'm tempted, even when I get rid of the devices, somehow, some way, temptation always finds its way to my doorstep. Somehow, some way, there's always a loophole. There's always a way for me to, to, to do this and nobody will know. For me to say that and nobody will ever know that I had said it. For me to go there and nobody will ever know that I went. Because the enemy's sin is always looking for a way to trip us up always looking for a way to trap us. No matter how, how much we cut the source off, it will always find its way back into our lives. So be prepared for a fight. But then also know that sometimes fighting looks a lot like running. You can only will it through so much. It's called ego erosion. The longer you try not to do something and you look at something and you say, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, eventually you will. The longer you look at a cheeseburger and say, I won't eat it, I won't eat it, I won't eat it, it's not in my diet, there's carbs in that bun, I won't do it. The longer you look at it, eventually you will do it. And sometimes the solution and the answer is just to get out of Dodge, to leave it, to leave temptation, not to fight it, but to run. 
to run to whoever it is that's holding you accountable, to run to your husband, to run to your wife, to run to your friends, to run to the altar, to run to wherever you need to run to, to get away from that lie that wants to trap you. And now for the really good news. Whenever I read books about this or I hear talks, people always talk about recovery. We love this idea as Christians of revival, of going back before things were messed up and things were bad. You can't. It doesn't work that way. And you don't want it to. Because the damage is done. The mistakes were made. You cannot unwind the damage. You cannot undo the damage, but it's better than that. I like the way Paul put it. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The word that he actually uses here is hyper-conquerors. And the idea that Paul is going for is that Jesus has already won. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave for our victory. So victory is as secure as God is good and big and in control. And God is good and big and in control. So we win in the end. So every time we face down a struggle, every time we face down a temptation and we win, it's just icing on the cake. We're more than conquerors. But this works in your mind too. As you begin to fight whatever that struggle is, if you, as you begin to fight pornography, as you begin to fight that struggle, the gray matter that you lost, the brain that you lost, you begin to get back. The connections that your brain made, they get redone and they get moved. And all of a sudden, that strong desire that you had for, for pornography, now you have for your spouse. That strong desire you have for that sin in that wrong way, now you have for your children, you have for your family, you have for God, you have for your friends, you have for the world. You're a hyper-conqueror. Your mind is stronger because of what you went through and what you overcame. You're able to cope with temptation better than anybody else. You're a hyper-conqueror. It's better. It's better than recovery. It's overcoming and getting to the other side stronger and wiser because of it. So if you would, for just a moment, couple of moments, imagine with me Imagine if we fought. If you're here and this is your story, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because I know you probably won't. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything to identify yourself because you may not be there yet. But imagine if you fought for yourself so that you could experience freedom again. So you didn't have to keep things a secret and always be concerned, did I delete my history? Did I lock my door? Are people gonna find me out? Imagine. Imagine not being double-minded anymore. Imagine not having to hide. Imagine what that would feel like because it feels so good. Imagine actually desiring your spouse. Imagine that relationship restored. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine a better world than the one that you've settled for, the cheap imitation. Imagine something more than pixels. Imagine something more than a website. Imagine something more than a live of fantasy that turns out to be hell. Imagine that. and fight for it. You don't have to. And if you don't, no one will blame you. Our world comes ready-made with all kinds of excuses for you. Monogamy's hard. You need something to take the edge off. Marriage is hard. Relationships are hard. Celibacy is difficult. We understand. You need something. No, you're not getting enough sex. Yeah, they really did let themselves go. Of course they looked at sex. It makes sense. Oh man, if I had grown up in a time like this, of course I would have messed up and made those same mistakes. There will be all kinds of excuses. And people will pat you on the back when the worst case scenario becomes your scenario and say, they're there, we understand. It's okay. You can do that. 
But when I turn on the radio and I hear a love song, very rarely do they sing about the guy who traded in his wife for pornography. Very rarely do they sing about the family that was broken up because the woman couldn't help herself and just kept looking. No, the love songs I hear, it's more about the people that said no to everything else and said yes to their spouse. The guy who was tempted, there was lust, there was a girl, there was a website, but he said no. Because at one point he said, I do, and he meant it. And he wasn't gonna go back on his promises. That's a song worth singing. That's a story worth telling. That's, that's the kind of man that we wanna be. The men who honor our word, don't go back on a promise and don't sell the good thing that God's given us for something as silly as what we find on a computer screen and instant gratification. That we wouldn't bite into that apple because we have something better. That's a song we're singing. That's a story worth telling. Fight for you, your family, your purity, your peace, and fight for our kids, for your kids, for the ones that you don't even know, but you see. And when you see it, your heart goes out to them. The ones that you teach, your nieces, your nephew, your grandkids. Let me show you something. This is me, of course, and my oldest daughter, Emmy, and my youngest daughter, Jules. About once a week, uh, at least once a week, I take them to work out with me. And when they're there, there is lots of screaming and lots of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And they end up hiding because they get in trouble because they start playing with things that they have no business playing with. And I'll have weight on, on, on the rack and they'll start playing with it. And it weighs more than me and both of them combined. And I'll be doing something and I'll see them I'll, and I'll see them and then all of a sudden I'll yell, no, Emmy, no, Julie, don't do that. Don't go there. No, no. And I'll throw down whatever I'm doing. I'll go, I'll scoop them up. I'll put them down and they're crying at this point. They're bawling because I yelled at them in a way I never yell at them. I give them a big hug and then I look them in the face and I say, here's why daddy did that. Here's why I yelled. Because that is dangerous. And here's what I've experienced. When I'm in the workout room and other people are in there with me and my kids are there, other people do the same thing with them. They're not even related. They'll do the same thing. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, they'll yell, no, don't do that. You see a kid playing in the street and they're in danger. Whether you know the kid or not, you better believe you're gonna run to the restaurant. You're gonna yell, hey kid, get out of the road. Cause it's common sense. But for whatever reason, when it comes to sex and when it comes to porn and when it comes to technology, we go stupid and we go silent. And we hand our kids smartphones and we hand our kids technology and we send them out into a world that has a totally different message on repeat where men brag about their conquests, women dress to entice and they take what God made sacred and holy and good and they make it normal and profane. And we say nothing. We do nothing. We go radio silent because it's awkward. Because we don't know what to say because nobody ever did it for us. And then we gasp when the next generation makes the same mistakes and then worse than we did. It's most of our stories. But what if we did better? Parents, what if you did better? Aunts, uncles, grandparents, I'm inviting you to do better, to be the voice in a child's life. And here's how you start. Number one, and you're gonna hate it, have a conversation. You may not know how, and that's okay. 
You may not know the words to say. It may be awkward. They may look at you like you have five heads. But don't wait until they're a senior in high school to ask them about the birds and the bees. Because at that point, somebody else has already told them. At that point, it's too late. Don't wait until they're in middle school because God's are they've already been curious and they have tools to sake their curiosity. And if you don't know how, I understand because I don't either and I'm terrified. But to help, check this out. Pornproofkids.com. Write it down. It has all kinds of really helpful things for you to know how to talk to your kids about sex. They've even written books, little kid books that will help you talk to your children. One's called Good Pictures and Bad Pictures. It's that simple. To begin having conversations with your children about technology and about pornography so they can have a different story. And then get your child connected. Get them connected to a group leader. Bring them on Sunday mornings to Kids Creek, even if their parents don't come and they don't go anywhere. Bring them on Wednesday nights to up front if they're a teenager. Get them connected to another adult because the time is coming and may already be here when they don't wanna talk to you. And the time has passed. So get an adult in their life who will, and who will be a good voice, and who will join you and stand shoulder to shoulder to fight for them, to fight for better for them. And then install software on all the devices, iPhones, iPads, computers, on theirs and on yours. Set the example with what you do, because you don't need that kind of privacy either. And it's not about an invasion of privacy, it's about accountability. And it's about fighting together as a family for something better. One of the best ones that I've found is called CovenantEyes.com. It comes with a price tag, but it's worth it, and it's good. And then stay informed. Many of you, this is the first time you've heard a conversation this exhaustive about pornography ever. And the stats blew you away. They blew me away. Many of you have struggled and dealt with it, but you've never actually dealt with it. You don't know how to even begin fighting or going a different direction. Check out these websites. Fightthenewdrug.com and yourbrainonporn.com. They'll help, you, they'll help you know. They'll help you understand. They'll help answer your questions. They'll tell you about new apps that are coming out that are dangerous, that aren't good, that aren't healthy, that you need to be looking out for on your children's devices if you choose to let your children have devices. And then listen, church, we have an opportunity to do something that's never been done in the history of the church. And I, I'm not talking about removing pornography from the world. I'm not that delusional. But I'm talking about raising up a generation that doesn't have my story. Raising up a generation that doesn't have your story. The world has never seen that. What if the world could see a group of people who actually handled sex the way that God said it should be handled? That didn't have the dysfunction, that didn't have the brokenness, that didn't have to fight in the shadows by themselves like I did, and maybe like you did. What if we charged in, if we, and we yelled, and it might scare them, but then we take it from the side and we say, here's why we say it, and here's why we do it. Let it end with us. Let us be the last generations who have this story. At the Creek Church, let it end with us. In a couple of moments, if you're here and this is your story, this is your struggle, maybe you think you have a handle on it, but you need to talk. Maybe you're here and you know you don't, and you know you need to talk. After I pray and say amen and we go our way, there's gonna be some pastors up front and we would love to talk to you and we would love to help in any way that we can. Maybe you're here and you're a parent and you don't know what to do. You jotted down the websites and hopefully you'll be able to navigate to them later and you wanna talk and you need help, we'll be here for you too. 
at all of our campuses, at all of our locations, pastors will be at the front, and we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to help, but let's fight. Let's write a better story. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to come together for what has been supremely awkward for me. But God, what I pray is supremely life-changing for all of us. You gave us an amazing gift when you gave us sex. You gave us an amazing gift when you gave us relationships and you gave us one another. Now God, help us to steward these gifts well. And God, as we do, would we become an example in our families and in our marriages, in our community, in our cities, God in Kentucky, of what it looks like when God's people get it right. When we fight and when we walk towards the mess, because God, I'm under no delusions. I know that this is messy. To be a parent and to walk in, it's messy. To have this be your story and to own it and to be honest about it and to try and fight it, it's messy and it's difficult. But God, on the other side of all of that, on the other side of what we're afraid of, you are there. You are there with better, a better life and you are there with eternal life and you are there with a better story just waiting to give it to us. All we have to do is take a step. So this morning, God, help us. Help us to take those steps. In your son's name of Jesus, amen.